Hi, this is Paul. Yesterday in my video, I noted what Glenn Scrivener said about the Alex O'Connor, Richard Dawkins interview. In this interview, Richard Dawkins says that he has no respect for any Christian debater that he has ever faced. Who's the most formidable debate opponent that you have had in your career on this question of God's existence? I don't think there are any. <laughs> Never mind. Atheist Alex O'Connor sat opposite him, and he did better than any Christian on the planet ever could do. The questions that Alex O'Connor asks Richard Dawkins are exactly the questions that any Christian would want answered, and Richard Dawkins has no answer. Hi, I'm Glenn. <laughs> I can't improve on that intro. When I was with Glenn at the art conference. Sorry to celebrity name drop on Glenn. Um, I told him, I said, you're the cleverest man here. And he laughed. And he'd rather be Rafe Kelly, the coolest man there. But sorry, um, Glenn is clever. And that introduction is dead on right. I have now made my way through the Alex O'Connor, Richard Dawkins conversation and it's an astounding conversation in terms of the whole atheist Christian debate. Now, I, I want us to be a little charitable towards Dawkins. I would, you know, his, he is showing his age. He's 82. And that's, you know, I, I work with a lot of seniors. Uh, old age is a very funny thing. It, it, for some people, it lasts a long time. But there, there are capacities that, that tend to diminish. You tend to be a little less quick, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, it, it, I'm not saying anything catastrophic about Dawkins, but he, he is showing his age, which is absolutely biological. But Alex O'Connor just tremendously impressed me in this conversation. He was... Um, uh, I, I was just—I just really impressed. There were portions of this conversation that were that were really remarkable, and what Glenn said, I can't improve on. But what I wanted to do was use this to to highlight some things that are becoming more and more obvious to me, and I think even the. So Justin Brierley, of course, is doing his podcast, and I love his podcast. Every time a new episode comes out, I listen to it, just like clear off all my other things, and I listen to Justin Brierley's podcast, and I hear what he's doing. And Justin is marking something that we are seeing here in Alex O'Connor. The conversation has shifted dramatically. Now, this doesn't mean, again, and what's so interesting about this is Alex O'Connor continues to identify as an atheist, but he clearly has been to school. He clearly has learned some philosophy and some theology. And the way he quotes C.S. Lewis or Alvin Plantinga, with, with a fair amount of respect, I mean, Alex O'Connor is seriously contemplating all of these issues. And it is absolutely fascinating to watch. Let's let's start because we have to talk about the, the map of science, or maybe we should talk about what Rich when Richard Dawkins talks about science, he's talking about a map. Okay? Let's think about that as we listen to this. It's 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 a remarkable conversation. Again, kudos to, to Alex O'Connor. Um, well, well done. And I don't mean this in terms of dunking, in terms of Christian and atheist. 
I think he just did what I think every good conversation should do, which is reveal truth. And um, let's go. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Ayan Hirsi Ali recently, despite you being perhaps the world's most famous atheist, described you as one of the most Christian people that she knows. Why did she say that? I adore Ayan. Um, I'm, I'm a great fan of hers. I've, I have talked to her about this. Uh, I think the, the respect in which we differ is that for me, what really matters is the truth claims of Christianity. Okay. And this is what's going to dominate the first part of this conversation. And when we talk about these truth claims, what is Richard Dawkins thinking about? He's basically thinking about a map because he's, he's going to argue that the way that we know truth, and later on when Alex O'Connor presents C.S. Lewis's argument from Desire, Alvin Plantinga's argument about evolution. And even early on here, as Glenn Scrivener points out, there's a moment in which hmm, we're really beginning to see the map. <laughs> Whereas before, I think in a lot of the atheist debates, the map was so present, so up close that we didn't see the map. We just we just saw science. Well, science, science, science. Well, science is a map. Okay. And what is a map? And for her, what really matters is the morality, uh, the politics, actually. Um, I think for her, Christianity is a bastion against something worse. As Hiller Belloc said, always keep a hold of nurse for fear of finding something worse. And for her, I think she she wants a a faith which will help people to stand up against worse faiths. And she singles out uh, Islam, she singles out China, I think, and Putin and wokeism. Wokeism, yes. Um, and um, I'm with her on, on all those. And uh, to the extent that I think that a religion might be valuable for political reasons, I would... Okay, so I think... This is lovely. I mean, what what I loved about the first part, too, is that, okay, so Ayan Hirsi Ali has changed her identification in terms of this religious mapping. She has changed and she is beginning to take on a Christian identity. And she, when she says about Richard Dawkins that, you know, in some ways, what a fine Christian he is, that it's you know, we sort of have this with Jordan Peterson, and I do videos about Jordan Peterson. Some people, Jordan Peterson's not a Christian, or Jordan Peterson's the best Christian I know. Uh, John Verveke talks about the fact that some people have told him that he's the best Christian that they know. Okay, so there's a slipperiness, there's a fudginess with respect to these terms. We grant that. So when Ian Hersey Ali says of Richard Dawkins, basically, he's Christian, or he acts Christianly, or any way she's going to frame it, she's giving him a compliment. She wants to say, he, he is someone that I esteem. If I identify as a Christian, you know, I, I esteem him. I recognize him. He's a friend. And he, again, speaks of her. Now, this political divide says, okay, well, Christianity works. Because that's essentially what she says. Christianity works because these other threats that we're facing don't work. Now, again, because this is Richard Dawkins, is because we're talking about evolution, which again is, is evolution a thing or is evolution a hyper object? 
uh, we're talking about evolution, that hyperobject itself is going to play and should play with our value hierarchies, we'll call it that. And Alex O'Connor is going to go right in on this. And I'm just thinking, Glenn Scribner nailed it. Go along with her, but I think it's the wrong way to approach religion. I think that what really matters about a religion is whether it's true. Okay. And again, he's pointing to the map. He's pointing to, can we abstract this and have, um, make truth claims about it on the map and then take those things from the map and bring them back down to the ground? Now, far later in the conversation, almost to the end, when they talk about, we know that science is true because, and he's going to go into verification things, because we can send things to the moon, because math works and slingshotting objects, because, because these things work. So in that sense, they are true because they work. Now, Jordan Peterson's also going to come into this conversation, and it's going to be interesting because... A long time ago, about five years ago, one of the things that people were hitting at Jordan Peterson for was this idea of Darwinian truth. And in some ways, where this whole thing has migrated in five weeks, both of these guys are in many ways functionally using Darwinian truth as their measure. And to adopt a religion for... Uh, it's almost as though one is saying, well, I don't believe this nonsense, but it's a very good idea if other people do, and there's something patronizing about it. Okay, before we get to this point, which again, Alex is really going to follow up well with, just look at the assumption about a religion. So what is a religion? So now we're going back to this question of Tom Holland. The Greeks, you know, did they know that they were religious? Well, not in the same way we were. Tom Holland, I think, demonstrates nicely that this entire framing of what a religion is, is really a very recent thing. And an atheist would often claim, and again, all this stuff is changing quickly. An atheist would often claim they don't have a religion. It's only religious people that ha are, have religions. And religion is, you, you know a religion because of these certain kinds of things, these certain kinds of beliefs, mapsings these certain kinds of behavior, so on and so forth. And, um, and well, you shouldn't do this. Well, of course, that whole should is deeply into here. Why should or shouldn't we? Um, and in terms of Darwinian truth, the idea would be the should that you have is to what? Get my genes into the future? And Brett Weinstein would have been a you know, keeping Brett Weinstein in mind is fun with this conversation, given where he has been in this whole thing. And a little bit later, we're going to get, Brett Weinstein is not mentioned, but metaphorical truth gets mentioned. So just fascinating. That she doesn't do that. She goes, she, she says, I believe in it. I, I am a Christian. Um, and therefore. Well, but she has given a whole bunch of, she has tried to be forthright about where she's at. And, and she was very forthright that basically she was depressed. She found the world difficult to live in. And some of the recent videos I've talked about nihilism-induced depression, which I think is a hazard to atheists in ways that it doesn't tend to be to religious people. 
Religious people don't seem to have a meaning crisis to the degree that many atheists have a meaning crisis. And when you listen to Ayan Hirsi Ali in the Unheard interview talk about why she embraced Christianity, did it in therapy, and why she has found it... <laughs> Think about this word that gets used in churches a lot. This, this word has sort of taken up fancy in churches over the last 10 years. Life-giving. Think about life-giving in terms of Darwinian truthiness. It's almost the definition of, of Darwinian truthiness, life-giving. She found Christianity life-giving. From a Darwinian point of view, you'd think that would be a defeater because she would say, this is helping my biology because I have a fear of you know, I tried to, she says in the unheard interview, I drank so much alcohol, you know, basically, you know, tried to drown a hospital in alcohol. And she finds religion life-giving. Hmm. Well, it's not patronizing, but I think the, the fundamental motivation is a political and a moral one. I, I presume... Now, now, political is almost used, again, dismissively. We, we could say that it, it's also a humanitarian one because she believes that if more of the world were Christians rather than atheists or Muslims or some other things, I would imagine, then actually the world would be a better place. You say, well, well, you know, let's flip the tables on Vanderclay here. What do you mean by better? I'll say, well, let's just use Sam Harris's better and worse. Well, what do we mean by better? Well, sort of a dead reckoning sort of better. Are, are less wars better than more wars? Yes. Although, what does Sam want to do to, <laughs> to Hamas um, and Gaza? Well, okay. Um, and so you see, it gets very complex very quickly, but she finds it life-giving. Well, let's, you know, sort of imagine that she'd think that. Now, again, I found this video just fast. I was tremendously impressed with Alex O'Connor in this video. As both an atheist and as a person with an understanding of not just biological, but also mimetic evolution, having coined the term meme, you'll have to think of religion as essentially something which serves some kind of social function. That, that must be why it exists. That's why it evolved. Given that that's the case, is it really so inappropriate to think about religion in terms of how it serves us socially? If that, from our uh, shared worldview, must be what religion really is. From an okay, now remember what I said about the map. <laughs> this is just amazing. What O'Connor basically says is, okay, so you've got your map, all right? And we can put religion in that map. What is primary? Is the map primary or actually the living things out? Now, let's call it reductive physicalism, says that basically the, the lowest possible level, the truest possible thing is the physical material and all of sort of the, 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 the thinky-talky, the abstractions, the mappings, all of those things that have the only reality they have is the degree to which they serve the continual propagation of the genetic material. 
That is their value. That is what their value was built upon. So in other words, the mapping itself really doesn't matter. Now, again, they're going to get at this later when he uses, brings up, let's say, the metaphorical truth. But in a sense, these guys keep wanting to flip it and say, no, the map is most important. And to that, I say, wow, Calvinism much? And I'm not saying that dismissively. It's just this is in many ways what Protestantism became in a certain and and this in a certain in a certain way and and i've often challenged this with christians and i did before because the example i i give is let's say i'm i'm at a church meeting and some minister has behaved badly let's say let's use the let's use the stereotypical one the minister has slept with the organist now this is a fairly safe one in protestant churches now because there are very few there are fewer and fewer organs in protestant churches so the minister sleeps with the organist you never hear a minister defending himself before his church board for having slept with his organist by saying but i subscribe to all the correct doctrines it's not a challenge. This goes all the way back to the book of James, because the book of James basically say, well, when it comes to mapping, certainly the devils must have the best map. Well, then what's the problem with the devils if they have the best map? It's because, you can talk about the map and the territory. So O'Connor basically says, well, but the way that atheists have been thinking about religion is that, well, this is sort of a, an offshoot and it must have an adaptive purpose because, you know, non-religious people are so hard to find in human history and religious people, and you can look at the Collinses, re religion seems to be the, um, the thing that is keeping human beings alive. Human beings out reproduce each itself with religion. And again, looking at Malcolm Collins, rather chilling statement about, well, but well, maybe I'll just play it. I'd put it in Vanderclay. Because I am calling out that the, the emperor has no clothes right now. And I think a lot of people have mentioned collapsing fertility rates before. Um, but I, I think that no one has really so consistently uh, uh, brought it up in a way that the people who want to ignore it have to look at the problem. You know, when I point it out, because I think a lot of people, especially, you know, on the more progressive side of the spectrum, they just want to dismiss it. Oh, the planet's better without humans or whatever. But when you point out that not a single society on Earth today, except for maybe Israel, we can talk about that later in the conversation, has figured out how to have prosperity, gender equality, and high levels of education, and anywhere close to a stable population, like... Considering we are trying our best, and I think rightfully so, to spread those things across the world, that should be like a note. Like that should be like a, oh, this system that we think is so great and we want to be the future of human civilization doesn't seem to work at, at the most basic level. That seems like quite a scary uh, proselytization for the future or prediction for the future. If you're to say that we need to get rid of one from education, equality, prosperity or birthright we just need to concede the fact what that the birthright what we need to do is we need to find new cultural solutions we need to find a way to maintain fertility rates while having education while having gender equality and while having a high level of prosperity and there are many places we can look in the world today to begin to get inspiration for how we might do that 
You know, I, I think um, to understand the scale of the threat right now, one of the, the, the things I always start people with is when I started caring about this. And a lot of people are like, why is it that people in Silicon Valley seem to care about this so much? And it's because there's a lot of VCs in Silicon Valley and VCs need to chart the economy 50, 100 years in the future in the way that, you know, Wall Street people really don't. They're looking at the economy five, 10 years out. Okay, so this is very map friendly. So VCs are looking at a map. This is sciency. This is data. This is these are truth claims. This is all of this stuff. And we're going to work on this data in the real world. And we're going to arrive at something. Now, later in this video with Dawkins, he's going to use something like physics for charting things. Well, even though it sounds really crazy, in some ways, there are fewer variables in terms of getting an object from Earth onto the moon than there are planning human societies into the future. And you, you have to think of that in terms of combinatorial explosiveness, because each one of those human beings is a package of massive complexity in the way that even this multi-million or billion dollar space object you wish to launch and get it to land on the moon is not. Because each of those human beings has within them, go back to the last video with respect to Peterson, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of genetic and mimetic code that has passed through enormous populations up until this present time and is figuring in this person to some degrees consciously, but a great amount of it unconsciously. And this includes all of us doing the talking and listening here. So the massive complexity is even greater. Or whatever. So because of that, when I was working as a VC, I happened to be working in Korea when I was working in a VC. Um, and I kept trying to chart the future of the economy. And I kept coming to the same answer. Is that Korea had no future. At their current fertility rate right now, for every 100 Koreans, there will be 5.9 great-grandchildren. We are looking at a 94% population collapse over the next century. And when I brought this up with the other partners at my firm and I was like, hey, like, it just doesn't seem like there is any feasible economic future for this country. They're like, yeah, but we pretend like that's not the case in our investments. Like everybody knows this, but like if we accepted it, then the economy stops working, society stops working. So we're just gonna ignore it basically. And when I came back to the US, it was like going back in time 20 years, like I was in some sort of a sci-fi movie and getting to be this one person who saw where the future was going to go and, and, and having to be that crazy person on the streets. Like, no, 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 you guys don't understand. There's countries further ahead than us on this spectrum right now, okay? And we know a few things. We know there is no floor. No country has hit a, a, a fertility collapse floor yet. We know that there is no level of advanced fertility collapse where people freak out, or at least not until it's too late. Because you look at Korea right now and 60% of, uh, of Korean citizens are over the age of 40. So it's, it's likely already too late for them to turn this, this problem around. So we need to turn this around before we hit that level. But the truth is we probably won't. And, and, and we've got to think of solutions for when we don't turn this around. But that's a different topic for later in the interview. Okay. So now, again, you can, you can argue within the point that he's making. Okay. But how this relates to Dawkins. Now, he's a biologist. And so what does he count? He counts populations. And now he added sort of the mimetic theory and put it on top. And when you put these two theories on top, what 
Malcolm is talking about and what his entire project is about is recognizing that the genetics and the memetics are deeply intertwined. Not completely. We as human beings have have a have have the most flexible mimetic capacity compared to our genetic capacity as any other uh, being that we are physically accustomed to bumping into. I'll say it that way. Some of you know why I was careful with how I said that. So now pay attention again to the mapping. In other words, what is happening and, and physical reductionist materialists should be comfortable with this because what's really happening, the most important thing is at the lower le register. And the point he's making is, well, actually, human beings genetically haven't changed much. Something in the upper register is governing the lower register and it's actually destroying it. In other words, we're sort of on a suicidal thing. And you put this next to Ian Hersey Ali and you begin to say, well, that's kind of the same thing. That's kind of the same point that Ian Hersey Ali was making. An academic point of view, I think it's a very interesting question. What religion is all about? What does it serve a social function? Um, does it is, does it even have an evolutionary benefit? And, and what's interesting, again, is if you say, well, okay, because in this conversation, we're sort of saying, well, religion. You go over to Malcolm, and he's going to say, no, actually, religion is everything. Religion is everything in terms of the propagation of the genetic host for the mimetic payload. Religion is everything. Because without this, this doesn't thrive. And Alex just basically made that argument. And uh, that interests me as, as an academic. Uh, to me, though, it's a huge step to go from even saying it's a good thing, even saying that, that I, I wish there were more Christianity in the world, even from, for, for, to say that is, is nothing to do with believing it, it's truth claims. I mean, truth claims like... Okay, so then we're going to... So, all right, so let's, let's just say the mapping's irrelevant. Again, they get to this later in this conversation. I don't know if I'm going to have time to get there. The mappings are irrelevant as long as whatever, however the mimetic, to the degree to which the mimetic payload gives us the genetic deliverable goods. That would be the Darwinian perspective that, well, do we care what dogs think? Well, we kind of care. But, but why do we care what dogs think? Because we care about their behaviors. Okay. Do you care what your children think? Well, yeah. Well, why? Because we care about their behaviors. And so we're, I mean, we're very much knocking on the door of Jordan Peterson five years ago when he's talking about his Darwinian truth, his pragmatism, all of that, his definition of religion. You can go back to um, Lafayette College. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, so I was watching a few of your interviews in preparation for this, and I heard you speak about religion quite a bit. And if you look up what religion means in the Webster Dictionary, you get something like um, a system of faith centered on a supernatural being or beings or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I've heard you use religion to describe things like punk rockers, for example, that that's a religious experience. So my first question would be, how do you define what is considered religious? And then sort of as a follow-up to that, um, if 
say Sam Harris. Religious is what you act out. What's that? Religious is what you act out. Anything you act out. Everything you act out is is predicated on your implicit axioms. And the system of implicit axioms that you hold as primary is your religious belief system. It doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or not. That's just surface that's just surface noise. So it has nothing to do with divinity or no, supernatural I didn't say beings. That. No. Or it doesn't necessarily have to do with those. No, it probably necessarily has to do with it too, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your voluntarily articulated statements about whether or not you believe in something like a transcendent deity. So, I mean, what you act out is much more what you are than what you say about yourself. And what the hell do you know about what you believe anyways? You're complicated, man. It's a fair question. Well, seriously, people are complicated. You know, like we're, we don't, we're not transparent to ourselves at all. That's why, we that's why we have to go to university and study psychology. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're not exactly black boxes, but we are the most complicated things there are, right? And we can't even program our VCR clocks. So it's like, how the hell can we propose to understand ourselves? Most of you don't know what a VCR is and don't get that joke, but old people like me and Jordan, we get it. And, you know, I'm existentially oriented, which is to say that I think that what you hold to be true is best determined as, an, as a consequence of an analysis of your actions rather than as a consequence of an analysis of what you purport to believe. Now, in order to act, you can't act without a, a hierarchy of value, which I tortured the other poor questioner about. You can't act without a hierarchy of values because you can't act unless you think one thing is better than another. Because why, why would you act otherwise? So that means that you're embedded within a hierarchy of values, whether you know it or not, or maybe multiple fragmentary and competing hierarchies of value, which is all the worse for you, by the way, because it just makes you very confused. That hierarchy of values has an axiomatic, it's, it's based on axioms, and the probability that you understand them is very low, because generally people don't understand their axioms. But that axiomatic system is essentially your religious system. And okay, now when he's talking about axiomatic values, in yesterday's video we talked about hyper priors, all these kinds of, or two days ago video, hyper priors, his conversation with John Verveke. Now those, these are, these are all mapping words. These are all things up here. But when in that video about Jordan Peterson, four minutes, and I had an hour and a half talking about it, it's because all of this stuff you absorbed when you were a child, and it's all in there, and all these assumptions. And then when you go to school, you learn to map, and you map all of this stuff. And But back to the biologists, what they care about, supposedly, is just the the material genetic creature scuttling around on the earth. That's what's important, the populations of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When, I, I don't think that's why atheists are arguing at all. Because they act out the fact that the mimetic upper regional level governs the lower completely. Well, completely it's 
<laughs> they're connected. We don't even know in many respects. We, we're still trying to figure it out. We don't even know what we should feed a human being. Now, there'll be a product placement in this thing suggesting something, but um, I haven't bought it. There is a divine creator who made the universe and, and made the laws of physics. There's a divine um, creator who who made the world, who, who listens to our prayers, who, who forgives our sins, um, who sent Jesus to be born of a virgin and then and then had him crucified. I mean, those are all truth claims. Of course, none of that matters as long as it helps us fight Putin, as far as... Well, as that that's the difference... <laughs> ...difference between me and uh, and Ayan. I, I suspect that, that, that she doesn't really believe any of that. And presumably... So then who really is the biologist? <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the thing, because he's like, no, I am, in fact, the, the Protestant because I want you and your truth claims to be, all be set correctly. And later on, he's going to say, well, how do you know that they're correct? Well, because we can put things on the moon. Okay, but... We don't even know what to feed a human being. Should we feed them? Where's where's the where's the little placement ad in this thing? Um, uh, uh, d d he's is he hawking what Joe Rogan used to hawk? I I find that too quite amazing. Um, so this is the tension in this that you have the biologist. Well, frankly, again, and what Brett Weinstein wants to push him on, and what Jordan Peterson wants to push him on, is the level of Okay, do, have you taken this mimetic theory far enough? Because you're certainly acting like the map is what should have priority. Ayan Hirsi Ali is wrong for prioritizing the on the ground over the map. Wow, from a biologist. Uh, many Christians, and I've seen many Christians reacting to this uh, story of Ion's conversion, issuing a similar skepticism as many atheists have been, saying, well, we care about Christianity as a set of truth claims. We care about it saying... We care about our mapping, and we're not so sure she's ready to sign onto our map. We're not sure she's ready to make the confessional move about our map. Something real about the world. If somebody can become a Christian just by preferring it as a as a as a more comfortable worldview what does that say about christianity i mean i said a moment ago if someone can be a minister and basically live however he wants but say i subscribe to all of the proper date statements again the book of james says well you can be a demon and do that too oh i don't believe in demons oh okay well um there's absolutely nothing wrong with ravi zacharias no he's a hypocrite hmm. hypocrisy what is that? Go that, well, for us, religion just is a, a social tool, essentially. And I think that the ability to adopt Christianity just because of its social function is evidence in favor of our case, that that's all religion is. Yeah, I think we agree about that. And, 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 and so <laughs> we have this flip. Because at one point, the Christians are saying, look, we won. And the atheists are saying, look, we won. And... But they're on the different sides of the table now, which is hilarious. No, it's 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 just what matters in terms of the flourishing of the species. But very quickly you begin to discover that 
this flourishing thing is not necessarily whether we figure out whether or not lobsters are flourishing in the warming waters of New England. I have a niece who works on who worked on that. Um, are lobsters flourishing if they're declining in number? Said so, no, they're not flourishing. They're being they're being stressed because of climate change and global warming, and the waters around New England are getting warmer. So Canada's getting all of the nice Maine lobsters. Uh, thank you, America. What is flourishing? Well, we can we can we know it by. Well, what, by counting noses? No, but then when it comes to human beings, we know it by blood pressure, or we know it by heart rate, or we know it by body mass. And then you can have someone who has an optimal heart rate, uh, optimal body mass index, perfect, perfect physical specimen, and they're having a meaning crisis because they say, I'm no different than a lobster. But I think where we perhaps don't agree we, no, I wouldn't say we disagree. I would say um, that our fundamental motivation is a bit different because I think that for you, well, if I ask you what you think the the worst thing about Christianity is, I suspect you say something, something moral, something about um, the problem of evil, something about the uh, the the horrific ideas of the of Paul and and the early Christian fathers um, that, 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 that we're all born in sin and, and, and we need... Now, now, sin is going to have an amazing conversation in this and I am running out of time and I am internally debating will this be one video or two but one of the things that gets demonstrated in this is that Alex O'Connor knows a lot more of the Bible and theology than Richard Dawkins. And, and again, he's 82 so let's let's the Bible tells us to respect our elders. And and I think at least part of that is is give give people who are getting up there in age a little bit of leeway because they're getting up there in age and they're biologically their brain might not function as quick anymore and they, they can't keep up to date. I'm sure Richard Dawkins doesn't keep up with all the kids on YouTube and so on and so forth. But I mean he just it's just not performing well. He did the death of Jesus to save us. That's the kind of thing that I suspect drives your atheism. Whereas for me... Oh, okay. So in other words, Christians have the wrong map. Oh. And atheists have the wrong map. And they spent a decade on YouTube fighting over their maps. And the argument that the atheist said is that your bad, your bad map is causing suffering. Oh. Your bad map is causing suffering. Well, what about suffering? All of the genuine diversity in our society, uh, one of its core messages is negative utilitarianism. That, that, that uh, the, the, the core evil thing in the world is human suffering and that human happiness just doesn't really matter or it is largely outweighed by human suffering and therefore it's better if humans don't exist. And that's the end goal for the urban monoculture. I think for a lot of people. What do you mean when you say urban monoculture? Well, okay, so this... Well, let's just, because I'm running out of time. The arguments that the new atheists wielded against Christians was that your map is bad. Well, why is your map is bad? Your map is bad because it's causing human suffering. Oh, okay. So let's, let's give people the urban monoculture map. Negative... What, what do you... <laughs> 
negative utilitarianism. Let's give them that cultural map and then they'll thrive because they won't suffer. But are they thriving by counting their noses the way we count lobsters in the waters off New England? Can human flourishing be reduced that well? And now he's saying morality. Okay, well, well, what, what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about morality? Are we talking about human beings again as if they were the lobsters off of in the Boston fisheries? Or are they like the absolutely pristine athlete who is a physical, perfect, optimal specimen who is completely collapsing in terms of life, doesn't have relationships, isn't, doesn't have any motivation to live, can't compete on the field. Maybe it's, 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 it's Babe Ruth at the top of his career drinking himself to death. Is that flourishing? What is flourishing? It, I, that's irrelevant. I mean, for me, I, I talk about it, but for me, what really drives it is the scientific question is, is there a creator underneath the universe? Because if there is, then it's a profoundly different kind of universe from a scientific point of view. From okay, so I want to debate about my map. My map is what's important. And, and whether I have... A mind beneath the universe, checked or unchecked, that's what matters to me. You're fighting Protestant confessional wars, but you're not doing it in church. Although I've been to Oxford, it looks a lot like a church. <laughs> I, I, am, I am perpetually indebted to my hosts at Oxford. I will not name them. But if you're listening, you know exactly who you are for showing me around Oxford, Went to the, um, got into the Oxford Debating Society. That was a super cool thing. These guys have their, their cards so they could get me into places, and it was totally cool. But look at what we're doing here. Well, why? Well, because the map is really important. I agree, the map is important. If there isn't, to me, that's the big question. The problem of evil, to me, wouldn't, shouldn't be a real problem because you just say, well, there could be an evil god. And, and, um, that, that, so that, that, that's a lesser question for me. Yes. And, and then you start to think about that answer. And so let me get this straight. That's a lesser question for you? Because if, well, maybe if you believe there's no God, then the God can't be evil. But the whole valence of the universe is being good, neutral, or evil. I think most scientists will say neutral, but as I listen to John Verveke says good, Jordan Peterson says good. I mean, if I had a if I had just a little one tiny little simple question to ask these people, although I think in many ways that mapping answer would be probably not a lot of use. And and in fact, it might much better reflect just sort of how they feel about themselves, which just really the map up there really doesn't handle very well uh i think i actually do broadly agree with you and that when, when i explain why i don't believe in god i do make reference to things like the problem of evil but it's difficult for me to frame those as moralistic objections it's more that when considering a particular worldview like christianity i think what would i expect the world to look like and especially considering how suffering is built into the evolutionary system so in other words your answers to these questions are pretty much based on your expectations 
And how were those expectations formed? And why do we bump into how many atheists today, not evenly distributed around the world, but very much distributed usually in the best countries, the most prosperous areas. Like I say, I know a lot of homeless people. I can't. I, it's really hard to find atheists among the homeless. Oh, they may curse God sometimes, but they they're not they're not doubting his existence. And you would say, well, these people have mental illness. They've got tremendous struggles and difficulties in life. Surely, the first thing they would jettison is some notion of a divine being that they could that they could appeal to, but they don't. So, but again. It's imagined that everything is about the map. And it's this conflict with this Darwinian truth that ostensibly they should be the champions of by virtue of their system. Now, maybe this is a good place to quit. I've got a Rando's conversation right now. And I this, if you got a video, if you, you don't have time for a lot of video watching, this is a fascinating video on so many levels. So... Um, yeah, leave a comment.